Hello, everyone, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Casey Muratori. And I'm Casey Muratori. That is untrue. That is a false statement. I'm Anna Rutberg. That's true, actually. Today, we are continuing our ensemble cast month with Magnolia, a <laughs> movie by Paul Thomas Anderson, the second Paul Thomas Anderson movie that we are doing. The previous one that we did was There Will Be Blood, which I think we split on. I had some positive things to say about it, but I was mostly negative on There Will Be Blood. And I think you had some negative things to say about it, but were mostly positive on There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the second PTA movie, Magnolia, on the movie club Anna Rutberg? So... I feel like I, in general, sort of enjoyed the experience of watching it. It took me a bit to get into it, um, which I think is part of what happens sometimes with this style of movie where it's like a bunch of interconnecting plots is like it takes some time to get sort of in the groove of watching it because it keeps jumping all over the place early on before you get a chance to like grasp onto anything and understand what's happening, right? So I definitely had a little problem with, like, engaging with it in the first maybe, like, 20 minutes, half an hour. But once the different plot lines sort of got rolling, I, I was more into it. I feel like it was definitely an interesting movie to have watched after Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. Because it sort of feels like it's doing a similar thing. Mm -hmm. But to contrast them, it's pretty interesting because the scenes in Magnolia are not nearly as interesting... Or, or written as well, I would say. And I felt like at times it veered almost too much into like like a kind of pretentious melodrama. Yeah. But I feel like for me, the frogs kind of saved it. Very interesting. A little bit. Because okay. it shifted the tone away from like super pretentious melodrama into something a little like weirder. Because up until that point, like, there's a there's a point not long before the frog scene happens where, like, everything is just turned up to 11 in terms yeah. of, like, just super, like, sappy melodrama where it's, like, yeah. everyone's miserable and it's all, like, self-inflicted misery, which is, like, the least kind of, you like, as a viewer, you're least empathetic, I think, about that kind of misery where it's just, mm -hmm. like, people making themselves miserable. Mm -hmm. And it's like it kind of crosses the line where you where you start rolling your eyes at the characters. And for some reason, when like the frog thing happened, it like shifted it into like it, inje it injected some amount of like humor or absurdity into it. And it it made it better for me. Uh, my vague understanding. And uh, again, this movie originally came out in 2000, which is a very long time ago. But my vague recollection about Paul Thomas Anderson movies in general, yeah. actually is that they are always based on, I don't want to say a true story, but they're based on some set of facts that he then makes a new story out of the facts. Right. Uh, retaining the facts, but changing all of the underlying circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so my recollection is in Magnolia, and again, someone should probably check this because uh, I didn't, but... My recollection is that the reigning frogs was one of the main facts that he used. So there was a time yeah. when... We've all, I think everyone's heard about the idea of reigning frogs. Like it happened once for some weird There was some, some weird, weird thing yeah. where like a tornado picked up an entire, you know, swept over a lake and picked it up. And then all of these sea creatures were in the air and fell out of it. 
it's not nearly as many as in this movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think the actual raining frogs is like every raindrop is a frog. It's like... And these are huge frogs, too. They're like... It's like 30 enormous... frogs or something would be the actual thing, probably. Yeah, yeah. It's not like 100,000 frogs, which is what was depicted on screen. So, obviously, it's not probably accurate in any sense. But, again, it kind of comes from that... Uh, the same. He does that with most of his movies. I think Punch Drunk Love is the same way. There really was someone who did that with the sweepstakes things or whatever, or, or the coupons. I can't remember how it was. Uh, the same thing with Phantom Threading. There really was someone who sewed those things in line where there was a, it was apocryphal. Anyway, they're like urban legends or real things or something that are, you know, passed around. And he makes these movies out of them. So... You know, for for whatever reason, he chose the frogs falling, and uh, I guess it, that kind of worked for you, which is interesting. Well, because yeah. I, I mean, I knew nothing about the movie going into it, yeah. And I obviously didn't have any idea that the frogs thing was going to happen. Like, I love the moment when it first happens because you're like, "What the heck?" Like, I liked that feeling. Um, this totally out of left field thing happens. Yeah, it felt like the movie needed something like that at that point. Um, there's some other moments though, like. Like I, that, I didn't love. There's like a breaking, almost like a breaking the fourth wall. They sing, where the they singing. sing, and I'm like, I I can't understand that choice at all. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me because that's the only time that the movie does that, and it totally just like pulls you out of it. It it doesn't make any sense why that's in the movie. Um, yeah. So I have um, a lot of problems with this movie, and that is. Uh, that specific thing alone is not necessarily one of them. More generally, I would say the fact that the movie does this a lot and I think to no great effect is a huge problem with the movie. There is almost everything in this film. It's sort of like a uh, a stylistic salad, if you will. Yeah. There is <laughs> yeah. no consistency to it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get... This is a movie that literally features football-like annotations on the screen in the opening. Someone literally draws like an arrow. Oh, can I? Right? Uh, yeah, the, the opening was so weird. I actually remember looking over you and I'm like, is this a Wes Anderson film? Like it felt- It, it felt Wes it Anderson. It felt like a Wes Anderson movie. And it's like, it's basically irrelevant to anything that follows. I mean, I'm sure- well, it's in, not irrelevant, it's not, but, but- you know what I mean? It's like, it's like what? <laughs> but presentationally, it's totally different. There's times when they use this grammar of like we zoom in on the television repeatedly to show like the television, the television, the television, never done again. There's frogs flying from the the sky. There's people singing. There's uh, shots of people in different ways that feel like they're out of different movies. There's shots that feel straight out of a Coen Brothers movie, yeah. like the part where he's talking to Solomon Solomon uh, and, um, you know, uh, William H. Macy is talking to Alfred Molina. Uh it just feels like it has no idea. Yeah, yeah. And to, to contrast agree. this with Pulp Fiction, a movie that feels like it knows exactly how to tell its story right consistently the whole way so that you just feel you're just in it from start to finish. You're just so engrossed. Mm-hmm. This movie feels like almost like it's changing the language that it's speaking every five minutes. And as a result, what I notice most about this movie is that it is completely inconsistent and I'm never really engrossed because as soon as I get used to one way of them presenting, they just change to another way. I also think it's... If that was the point, meaning if if somehow that added up to something, maybe it would be okay. In this movie, it adds up to nothing. It just happens and is pointless. I feel like it's interesting too because... 
it's very different than from the other Paul Thomas Anderson films I've seen because yes. his other films that I've seen feel like very consistent in terms of style, in terms of like the filmmaking and the direction and everything, right? Like you look at There Will Be Blood or Phantom Thread and they're like, they feel like these extremely cohesive mm-hmm. pieces. Um, and I agree, this one is like tonally all over the place. Like you like you said, it's like sometimes it feels like almost like a Pulp Fiction or a Coen Brothers with that like sense of humor mm-hmm. thing. And then sometimes it just goes like full like melodrama mm-hmm. to the point of like stupidness. And it's just like, it's all over the place. I think in some ways I didn't mind that, that chaoticness, but at the same time, it does make the movie feel like ultimately not very resonant emotionally or, or even like intellectually, I guess it's just kind of like, okay, I guess you were just trying some stuff. But I don't feel like trying some stuff is really a good reason. Like, there there wasn't really anything being tried other than just you just put random stuff on the screen. It didn't feel like there was a reason. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I was trying this out because I thought it was going to do X really well and it was important. It's like, no, like, you didn't need to draw on the screen. You didn't need to have something be in black and white here. You didn't need, like, none of these things needed to be happening to tell the story you were telling, you just did them anyway. The ti- Why are there title cards exclusively about weather for most of the thing, and then there's a title card that's not about weather on a black background? It's like, it just doesn't make sense, and it, it ends up being something that just feels like, it doesn't feel like it was intentionally done and just failing to accomplish something. It feels like it was just uh, not thought through. Like, like you did not put enough time into thinking about what was supposed to happen here. It felt sloppy. And that, to your point, when I watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie I don't like, like There Will Be Blood, I would not call it sloppy. The reason I don't like that movie is because I just didn't like what that movie happened to be doing. It is not sloppy. It seems very specifically to be doing certain things. And I didn't like those things. But there was nothing sloppy about it. Um, And I would say the same thing for ones I did like, like Phantom Thread. Everything extremely intentional. This movie just feels all over the place. I agree. And, and I don't feel like that's me not getting it. I feel like this is an all over the place that just needed to actually be refined and to be thought through more carefully than it was. That's really just where I come down on it. No, I mean, I guess I totally agree with you. It feels like chaotic and sloppy in that way. I think it bothers me less than it bothers you. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there are some there are some things in the stories that I did enjoy. Uh like I we think- can talk about the stories as kind of a separate thing because I'm I'm saying this about the presentation of the film, yeah, how yeah. it is presented, not what the content is. The content is a separate thing. I also think it's not very good. I agree, but yeah. it's not very good for other reasons. the The stories themselves are not poorly thought through. I think they are thought through very specifically. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's like those feel those actually yes. feel very intentional. Yes. Um, and there are some interesting things happening there, although on average, I would say, compared to something like Pulp Fiction, they are just not that inherently interesting or, like, for the most part, the 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 scenes and the characters are not, they're not as watchable and entertaining as Pulp Fiction's scenes. Also, interestingly enough, you could easily say that Pulp Fiction and Magnolia are, in some sense, both stories about coincidences. Mm-hmm. And... The 
when you compare the screenwriting qualities of each, it's just kind of remarkable how well Pulp Fiction does what it does because you never notice the coincidences that make up that story because they feel so natural. It doesn't have to go out of its way to be about coincidences. It's just like, hey, here's a fully realized world that just feels like it's really happening. And there's a ton of coincidences in there that are required to make this happen, but it feels like a heightened version of real life the whole time. And it just, it's so plausible. It doesn't have to make excuses for itself. And its tone is so consistent. Like, Pulp Fiction feels like Pulp Fiction throughout the whole movie. And and that tone feels appropriate for stories that are about these sort of pulpy coincidences. Magnolia is a film which has to bookend itself with basically an excuse for its own content. And yet, even with that, it manages to not really... um, add up to any it, it does not actually get anything out of these coincidences other than just there were some coincidences that we really just don't care about at the end of the day yeah i mean i i i like the idea of of a bunch of like unrelated characters and stories like their their lives sort of intertwining in the way that human lives sort of do intertwine with 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 people you've never met or might briefly encounter like that's an interesting idea and i didn't hate it but yeah, I don't know. I do think I think tone is just a big was a big problem for this movie. And, but and story quality, like I said, you this movie is like kind and it overtly says so at the end, kind of saying like, you know, these kinds of strange occurrences happen in the real world all the time and yet in a movie we think they would be implausible, right? But the point is, no we don't. Like we all watched pulp fiction And never had that thought, even though it's totally exactly like the things that they talk about in the opening of this film. So it's like, no, actually. And then you watch Magnolia and none of the coincidences are even interesting. Like, it's like, no, this amounts to nothing. The fact that this person happened to be driving by when this other person was trying to break into the store. Who cares? Yeah, it's just like It whatever. doesn't matter at all. Oh, that this person who was dying happens to be the father of this other person who's giving like a, uh, a, a men's like uh, a sex seminar. Like an like right? Andrew um, Tate or whatever. Yeah, like, like an yeah. Andrew Tate style seminar. I don't know what you call that genre, but it's like those things don't matter. Like they wouldn't even have been things you would have called coincidences. Like like watching this movie without the bookends. I wouldn't. I would not have considered any of this stuff. It's just whatever coincidence. Right? It's just. It's just. It's just sort like of... these happen to be some people who are related to each other randomly, or who happen to be in the same place yeah, randomly. But, That's but like, it. yeah, like you say, like an ambulance with one of the characters driving by. You're the character who's waiting at a red light. That's not a coincidence. That's just what happens in the world. Like, it's not it's, even interesting. Yeah, exactly. Who cares? Well, they, it I, wouldn't I, matter if I mean, they weren't. <laughs> I think this is what I was trying to say before. Is like compared to Pulp Fiction, is like the actual events for the most part of this story aren't very interesting at all that's why i think i liked the frogs is because at first for the first time i'm like something weird happened and people had to react to to this weird thing and i liked that um i think my favorite of the like plots i actually really liked the tom cruise character and that whole storyline i feel like tom cruise in this movie is like really good i i do think tom cruise uh never really got much respect as an actor for probably good reason because he does a certain pop thing. Mm -hmm. But when you look back on his career now, given what movies are like today, 
I do think that he deserves a lot of credit. Like you watch Top Gun and actually there's a lot of acting happening in there to do what's being done. And when you see a movie like Magnolia where it's like he's really trying to give it 110% uh, to bring this kind of character to life, which, you know, honestly is also not a character that anyone would ever think of Tom Cruise as being like. He doesn't have that reputation at all. There are people in Hollywood who do, and not, it's he is not one of them. No, no. So he's like really trying to sell that sort of badly damaged but over-the-top masculine guy. And it's a really interesting performance. I don't know that I love it, but it's it's he's doing a lot of work there and he gets something out of it. But I think I think he ends up being one of the more interesting characters he's in very the movie because too. he's so extreme. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's part of what's fun about him. I mean, it's it's the, it's a little bit of the Pulp Fiction thing. Like even the way he looks, the way he dresses, the way he talks, like this weird presentation he's giving. Like he, his story feels more heightened and exaggerated in a way that's more fun to watch than some of the other stories, which are just like, like the William H Macy one is just like boring. Like yeah, who it's cares? Really bad. Like I also thought some of the stuff. It, it's maybe a little heavy handed, but I liked it. With with um the Tom Cruise character is like. Like the moment where it's like how to how to fake being nice and caring or whatever. Yeah. And it's funny because his character's doing what he's doing is the opposite, right? Right. He's uh, actually a nice and caring person. And he's pretending. Pretending to be an asshole. Yes. And I'm like, that's a cool idea. I liked there that there was something going on there, and they were like exploring that character, and we were learning more about him, and things shifted as the story went on. So I think he was probably the most interesting character for me because there's like there was a development there and we got to watch that happen. And that was kind of interesting. I agree with that because uh, basically the thing that sort of ruins the Tom Cruise part for me the most is actually the ending. I think his interaction with his dying father actually doesn't really end up paying off. Yeah. I think the writing kind of I don't think that's Tom Cruise's fault. I think the writing was just not very good mm -hmm. as to what's how that's going to play out. But I absolutely agree that the the raw materials were great. The idea that you basically have someone who's pretending to be an Andrew Tate-style character or whatever, but actually they're a person who cared for their dying mother and clearly like has really severe issues that are causing them to do this thing. Well, it's also he he actually right? he actually hates men like and he, he actually hates he men and is a, just hiding it right and well, that's no, very I interesting i wouldn't say hiding it i would say the man he is pretending to be is a despicable man because you know what i mean like well, he, I mean, he's hiding the fact that he hates that he's pretending sure. that this is something he wants to proselytize but in actuality in his quieter moments you realize oh actually he really does hate what his father did and that's that's where he's actually he's sort of flipping this around and the reason I say that, that the ending kind of lets it down for me is because I don't feel like the writing had any idea where that was going to go. Yeah. Right. And I would have liked it to go somewhere. I would have liked him to make some decisions about that. I don't actually need him to be redeemed at all. He can keep on being an asshole or he could reform anything. But I wanted to see it grappled with more. And, and I think it would have led to much more interesting stuff. But really, there's no payoff. We don't really get any meaningful stuff out of that. And so they do a bunch of work on the setup and I agree with you that it's great, but then they don't know how to pay that off in either way. It could go any way and I'd be happy with it, but I wanted to see it go somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, I think like I'm thinking about the other little subplots and I just don't know who else I really 
cared about. I mean, I think that was part of the problem is it's like everybody's just kind of like I think that you mentioned the Tom Cruise, like the, the part with the father where he just goes and he's like crying by the bedside. And like that scene is one of the I think parts of the movie where I started to kind of like shut down a yeah. little bit. Like I, I, I've, I always say this where it's like sometimes films can veer into this like film school pretentiousness thing and like this movie definitely dipped into that yeah where it it gets that feeling of like i'm making art everyone is sad and you're just like okay guys like that's not that insightful you know i also think like there was a lot of problems with that part of the film because most of it doesn't quite feel motivated uh Tonally, at least, but also just even in terms of what the stories are actually going to do with what with where they go, it's like it just doesn't feel like like, you know, child sexual abuse, not really something that should be brought up in the last 25 minutes of the movie for no real benefit whatsoever. Um, It just doesn't work. It's like weird that that's coming out at this point, especially when we've had. A whole opportunity, you know, You here you've got basically a pedophile, that's what we're sort of saying, who ran a kid's TV show. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to address that at all. Like, that is not apparently part of this movie somehow. Like, we don't care about that at all. It's just weird. You're like, wait, we're going in this direction, but... Okay, was what was all that stuff about then? And why do we even care? There's other things... Um, I guess if I had to introduce a new metric, I would call it the the uh, cancer quota. There's a certain <laughs> number of people who, if you get to that number of people having cancer in your movie, you probably sh- you, you probably should go back to the drawing board. Yeah, <laughs> it's three in this film. Mm-hmm. That's really effing high. Usually the number is like one at most, and if you're at two, it usually has to be a movie about like two people who have cancer who are dealing with it together or something. It can't be three random cancer plots in your movie as completely separate things that don't involve each other. Unacceptable well, so I say, there's a, there's It's a, unacceptable there's at that almost, point. There's like a laziness to a the drama, laziness. to the melodrama. It's like, she's a drug addict and she can't stop doing drugs. Two drug addicts. Yeah, two. And it's just like, it feels a little lazy, and and same with the like the writing itself is like Real is not lazy. that insightful or interesting. Like you have like one scene that's set behind like the old man's monologue or whatever, and it's just boring. Like he, he's not saying anything very interesting, and yet it, the scenes are sort of set up in a way as though he what he's saying is like insightful and informing what you're seeing uh, from the other people. Yeah. And it's just like it's just not like it's just not that. Effective. The way I would summarize the scenes with Jason Robards there, uh, the the dying old man, is that this movie succeeds in doing something which I'm fairly certain it was not trying to do, which is to portray taking care of an old man as being exactly as annoying and boring as it actually is. <laughs> I literally hated every minute of this movie that was taking care of the old dying man. It was insufferable. It was, yeah. You can't understand most of the things he's saying because he kind of mumbles intentionally kind of coming in and out of consciousness. When he does say something, it's something we either already knew or is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It just, it's so annoying. And you're just like, why are you wasting my time on this? Like as a filmmaker, it's kind of your responsibility to be choosing things that are actually meaningful or interesting to me 
you shouldn't just portray something that is that is as uninteresting as the actual experience, right? Yeah. It's like, here is watching paint dry the movie. It's like, I don't want to watch the paint dry. I mean, look, like there's maybe a place in in the world of film for that kind of experience. We're like, look, we're going for extreme realism here. We're going to, you're going to spend an hour in a room with a dying man and it's going to feel like that. Like there's totally a room in the world of film for that kind of experience. I'm not sure how interested I am in that experience, but also that's not what this movie was trying to to be. It was no. trying to be deep and insightful mm-hmm. and interesting. And intricate and all these other and, things but, yeah. that it just doesn't do. And so it just, it's really, yeah. I would say that a lot of times I feel like maybe this movie honestly was succeeding in portraying a scene that no one should ever really have to watch portrayed. Like, I am sort of willing to believe that the Julianne Moore scenes were fairly accurate to what might happen in that circumstance, for example. But I would also say that like, I there's a reason I don't want to hang around with someone like that is because spending, you know, 20 minutes with somebody who's completely like, who is basically a lunatic and is going around to doctors and stuff, getting medicine is not fun. There's a reason that that's not like who you look to hang out with. And if there's someone in your family who goes down that route, it's considered a real burden to try and take care of those people and to figure out what to do with them. There's a reason for that. I don't just want to see that on the screen. What am I supposed to do with that information? Even if that's really accurate, which it kind of does feel a little bit like it may have been portrayed well, why am I watching that? That's just really... It's just really insufferable at some level. It it is not interesting. It is insufferable to show all these things that are basically like, hey, uh, this is what it would be like in a for for really messed up people to just be sitting around being miserable and doing nothing. Insufferable people being miserable and doing nothing is not a movie. No. And in fact, I I feel like the problem is it when you have that many people stacked up one on top of the other, it 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 feels silly. It like, does. It feels pretentious. Yes. It does. It, and it's like, like I said, the frogs kind of saved that feeling a little bit for me because they pulled it back from that. That, but it, but it was like, you know, it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I wish the movie had maybe actually leaned more into the like surreal element, like because I'm thinking like, okay, you know, you have the thing where they're singing along with the Amy Mann song, which is weird. And you do have the frogs later. There's not really any other surreal moments in no, this movie. No, it's not very surreal otherwise. And, um, you know, I think if if it had decided to, like, lean more into that, where you break the fourth wall more like often. Like, all the time doing yeah, weird stuff. And, yeah. yeah. I think that, it, yeah, it it's a movie that is extremely literal all the time. Yeah. Which is why when they do stuff like the frogs or the singing... Like, it suddenly feels like, oh, I'm watching a movie now. It's like, hey, maybe yeah. now something's going to happen. But in actuality, it's just still literal pretty much all the time. And so it actually just ends up feeling uneven as a result. It's like, okay, you didn't do that. You didn't go into Lynchian territory where, you know, these frogs falling from the sky are are somehow indicative of things and weird stuff is happening in relation to them that doesn't totally make yeah, sense. Like, I want the but David Lynch, something, I right? want the David Lynch frogs falling from the The David fu- Lynch sky Magnolia scheme. is a much better movie and that is not what we got. It also is so far from PTA's wheelhouse. The closest you ever got to something like that would be Punch Drunk Love and it is a much better movie, movie than Magnolia. But most of his films are not that way. 
And I don't think he really has a talent for it, to be honest. It's just not his thing. Um, so I feel like this was maybe a bit of a failed experiment in going that direction, in going the Pulp Fiction or the David Lynch or the other directions you could imagine going where a filmmaker tapped into some kind of weird thing that happens to really work. This movie was going somewhere like that and never got there uh, for whatever reason. I mean, I think it's very it's very possible that Paul Tam- Thomas Anderson actually sort of like learned his lesson from this movie. Like, he, he doesn't has, seem to have done this sort of thing no, again. No, and the yeah. movies he's made since are a lot better. Uh, mm-hmm. They feel more confident, and they, even though they're very melodramatic and serious, they never come across pretentious. I do think it was his second movie. Uh, Boogie Nights was his first big one. It just feels this like, was his second big one. It feels one. like a lot less confident than his later films. It really does. It does. I'm sure he was he was probably quite young at the oh, time. Oh, I'm sure because, like I said, it. it was like his second one. I and think, and he was probably still experimenting, right? When you're, yeah. you know, I think a lot of younger filmmakers would probably lean more in toward into like things they might perceive as like artsy or let's try yeah. something, you know. And as you get older, you kind of figure out what it is you're actually good at, and and he kind of I think has leaned into that, and his later movies are pretty strong compared to this. So I would point out a few other things sure. uh, about this movie. So I don't think it's a very good-looking movie. Um, there's it's there's, there's kind some of weird ugly. issues with the film. With Like, a lot of the uh, dollies and stuff are very shaky. And, and, they, and it's it's yep. almost nauseating at times, actually. They have some issues. And the lights flicker. They ha- they did not understand basic cinematography stuff, like the, uh, you know, the, the hertz on the lights yep. can't can't be like in the range of the hertz of the camera and, like, shutter. Those, those things are actually kind um, of unsettling and not in a good way to a viewer. Like they actually are, they don't are, work uh, very well. No, they're uh, almost like they almost trigger that like, um, but the same thing that strobing lights can, where you start to feel a little like sick. And that's just real amateur stuff. I mean, yeah. that's that's just like basic cinematography that you should not be messing up in a movie with this kind of budget. I mean, this is a movie with stars from wall to wall. It doesn't make sense that you couldn't get that right. Uh, it's very odd. So that's annoying. In general, I just think the lighting is lousy. I don't think the shot framing is very good. Uh, I don't think the sets are very good. Especially when you think of his later movies, which are like so visually striking. Some of the best looking movies made today are are Paul Thomas Anderson movies. I would say when you contrast this to his more recent stuff, when you look at something like Phantom Thread, if you look at The Master, which is one of the best looking films I've ever seen, didn't even really like the movie, but is absolutely gorgeous i don't know if this was just a case of him learning more about cinematography or if it's that he happened to pick a bad cinematographer for this one or that they didn't get along or that there was problems with the production or what happened but obviously like you say a mistake that really hasn't been repeated in on his watch like later films it not only look good but certain of his films look amazing like among the best looking films that exist and it's weird to look at this movie boogie nights his first film didn't really have a huge budget it would make sense that it doesn't look amazing that's understandable this movie he obviously had the resources he needed i don't understand why it doesn't look good if maybe just learning experience because yeah when you fast forward to something like the master you're like how were basic cinematography mistakes being made all over the place here and then we get to the master and it looks like absolutely exquisite yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a young filmmaker yeah, exploring be. and figuring out what he does. That's probably kind of what we're just seeing. 
Yep. Nothing wrong with that. It's it's interesting to watch the development of a, a basically an artist figuring out their their style and what they do. Uh, also, I suppose somewhat inspirational. Were I a filmmaker, I would like to know. I would like to see that the person who makes this movie later makes The Master and uh, Phantom Thread, because it's like. Yeah, you can not only get better, but you can get dramatically better at all of the aspects of what you're doing. And so it's like, you know, you put, pushing forward is cr- critical because you you can do a lot better than what you will do uh, your first time out, right? Or your second time out in this case. Absolutely. So it's, it is nice to see. You're not just necessarily born that way. You work at it and you get better. What I would say is one of the things we didn't mention So one of the problems with this film is that there's very little agency in this movie. Most of the characters are not doing anything most of the time. Um, They don't have goals or aspirations or obstacles even really most of the time. They are just kind of sitting around. Which is maybe fine if the idea of the movie is like there is no free will and like all these interweaving stories, it was all like meant to be in some cosmic scheme of things, but that's not at all what this movie is like trying to say. Well, even if it was, I'm going to draw a comparison here, which I believe is why when uh, actually there was John C. Riley's character, the mm-hmm. police officer, I actually found him to be the most compelling character in this movie. Okay. And the reason for that was because he was the only character in the film where I understood what this character, why I should care what's going, the outcome. He's a character who is, I understand what his life is like. It's been established very well. I understand what his desires, what his hopes are for the future, what he wants, what he feels how he thinks of himself, what his self-image is like. I understand all of these things very well. And I see things happening in the movie where I'm interested to see how he handles them. Various things. He loses his gun. He meets a girl he's actually interested in who's, you know, pretty badly damaged. Like, it's actually interesting to know what will happen to this character. And so I thought actually his plotline was the most interesting to me, not because there's anything particularly interesting that happens in it, but just because it was actually managing to sort of tell a real story where I actually cared about the relatively low, but cared about these stakes for this character. And I wanted to see what was going to happen to him, whether it was bad or good or whatever happens. I was interested in that. Right. And in some sense, I was also interested in the in the girls. Uh, because for the same reasons, she has a lot of problems. She doesn't really know what to do. Here is an opportunity for her to potentially move forward with her life, but it's going to be very difficult and, or maybe impossible. Once you're a drug addict, it could be incredibly hard. How's that going to go? Um, she obviously kind of cares about this guy and is the first time she's really had that kind of experience in a long time. I thought that was working pretty well. If more of the movie had been like that, where I felt actually connected to the characters and cared about things that were coming down the pipe toward them, I think it could have worked a lot better. But pretty much across the board, Tom Cruise, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jason Robards, uh, William H. Macy, all of their characters... I don't, even Tom Cruise, who, as you pointed out, great raw material there. I have no idea. I have nothing I'm really looking towards. I'm not. I, I, we haven't really set up anything 
important for him to decide. Like even the decision to go see his dying dad is not that interesting to me because I never see him really, that never really goes anywhere. And I don't know that it even matters that much to this character at the end of the day in terms of what he's going to go do or become. I don't know if that's going to change him at all. I just haven't been set up to really expect anything from him. And so I think the real writing issue that I see across pretty much all of it. Oh, and um, I never remember the guy's name. He is also a famous actor uh, who plays the pedophile. Right, 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 right. right. I, yeah, I don't remember um, the actor's name. I almost got something from him because he was like, he goes to visit the daughter and there's that scene where he's trying to convince her to like talk to him or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And that sort of makes more sense at the end when we find out that he potentially probably molested her as a child, right? Mm -hmm. That's like a pretty bad thing. And like you're bringing that up right at the end. But again, none of that is set up in a way that I have some expectation that there's going to be things the characters do or deal with in a way that I'm interested to see. Like there wasn't any actual setup there. So... I feel like pretty much across the board, when you take John C. Riley's plotline out of this movie, there's nothing in it. The Like, there are scenes, those scenes don't matter. They don't matter to the characters, and they don't matter to me. And I think that's why it falls so flat, which is weird because a lot of the raw material is there. I would like to know more about Philip Seymour Hoffman. I would like to know how doing this job of seeing people die over and over again is affecting him. You can see Philip Seymour Hoffman putting his all into this performance. He's crying. He's moved by this thing. It's believable. He's doing a really oh, yeah. good job, yeah. as you would expect from Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's a very well-respected actor. I mean, it feels like he um, he is doing so much more work like, yes. to sell that character as as a person than, than is earned by the yes. story. <laughs> and when the story gives me something, anything to latch onto with this character... It's great when he calls up and he has to order the porn mags because mm-hmm. he wants to find that guy's contact number and he's like struggling to figure out how to like ask it and he has to ask for it a bunch of times. It's really awkward. Again, that's a great thing. I'm now I'm I'm connecting with this character. I feel like I understand more about him because, you know, some people are just like, hey, you guys got any porn mags? All right, send them to me. Like, that's because one person. But he's embarrassed. But he's embarrassed. You know? yeah. That tells me so much about him, about what his life has been like, how comfortable he is with things like this or how it reflects on him. And so, again, raw materials for a story, we never get the story. There's nothing there. It, it just, it's like the movie is so uninterested in what a story is that it just puts a bunch of setup into a movie with nothing else. And that is why it feels so hollow to me to watch this film, because most of the scenes are literally irrelevant. Sometimes they become interesting because, as you say, sometimes it finds a little bit. The Tom Cruise, you know, his whole monologues are so ridiculous and over the top that they are well, entertaining. That's why I say, like, right? those scenes... But they don't go anywhere. But I think if the if the scenes were... You know, you, you could say a similar thing about some of the scenes in Pulp Fiction, like, where they just have a conversation, and the conversation is entertaining. And it's, like, separate from the story and the things that are happening. So it's like, you could have both and, like... They might, if it's interesting enough on its own, like the Tom Cruise scene where he's like giving the speech, like you just mentioned, is as a scene on its own in isolation, entertaining and interesting because of how extreme and weird this guy is. 
but I, I guess I would say, like, I disagree with your characterization of Pulp Fiction there. I don't think there is. It's hard to find a line in Pulp Fiction that isn't there for a very good reason. Even things that appear to be throwaway, like at the beginning, they're talking about a foot massage. This comes back. It's it's important because then it becomes a thing that John Travolta can talk to uh, Uma Thurman about in the restaurant. And we get to see these two ways in which this gossip has actually gotten around. Right. Or, or the right. It's like it just doesn't really have a lot of these kinds of. I don't know why this is in the movie movie stuff. Yeah. It manages to get double duty out of everything. Everything is there to enrich this world and to add context to things that are actually happening. They're not just like, oh, I thought of this funny thing to write in here. Even Fox Force 5, like which happens at the beginning, middle, and end of that arc, right? They talk about... He, he says like she was in a pilot in the first conversation. Then they talk about the fact that she was in a pilot and that she had a joke at, at the restaurant. And then when they actually are ending that plot line, uh, he she says, "Do you want to hear the joke?" And it's like a really lousy joke. Like the whole thing is very careful, and it's the opposite of this movie where I don't think anyone really ever had an idea of why any of these scenes mattered. To the movie. Yeah. They just isn't an argument for why most of the time. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. While I don't think I am as bothered by that sort of like lack of intentionality or direction or, or um, agency, I suppose, in characters, I do think that the scenes are just not inherently all that interesting for the most part. And like, I don't know. Like I said, I, I wasn't super disengaged. Like, once the story, once the plot lines like start moving forward, there were definitely ones that it would jump to that I'd be like, like the Willie H. Macy scenes where I'm just like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not interested in watching the scene, but like for the most part, it's jumping back and forth enough and keeping the momentum going that I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like super engrossed in the movie, but I am, I'm watching it. You know what I mean? Well, I think the... Uh- the William H. Macy character is an excellent example of something that just makes zero sense to me because here you have a situation where you're telling two stories separately about a quiz kid. The quiz kid. Yeah. They managed to get zero leverage out of that. It's it like doesn't matter. They at don't inform all. each yeah. other's stories at all. Like it's so weird. It's like, okay, you're basically saying that both these kids were in the same situation. They both were quiz kids. They both have parents who exploited them. Use that. Show things that will help me connect their two stories and reinforce them and and make there be a reason why you'd picked two characters who had a very similar circumstance. Get something out of it. Yeah, For I mean, Christ's like, sake, I movie, like... use some leverage. Use some writing leverage. And the movie is almost to a word, aggressively saying, no, I will never make two things in this movie actually relate to each other. It's like, well, that's an interesting goal if that was your goal, but holy cow, does that make your movie boring? Well, I would also say some of the ways in which the characters' storylines tie into each other are at least slightly more interesting than like, oh, you just happen to drive by somebody, where it's like, okay, so the kid who's a part of the quiz show... The guy who hosts the quiz show is the guy dying of cancer who happens to be the father of the girl who's like going on a date with the cop. It's like, yeah. So it's like, okay, I see the ways in in which these connect and it's kind of 
good, I guess. But the William H. Macy character is like basically unrelated to anything until like the very end when he briefly encounters the cop. Right. But it's just like, okay, it just, I don't know. It, it's just, it does feel like super disconnected from anything else in the movie. Yes, like, I would agree like, with that. You're like, okay, I get that he's the quiz kid too, but okay. What, like he's what, thematically what? connected, you could say. He's connected because he was also a quiz kid, which again, it doesn't really matter how you want to set this stuff up. Like you can choose however you want to connect these things. They can be unconnected or they can be connected. It doesn't matter. Like, I think that's part of the problem. The things this movie is doing don't matter. It doesn't matter that the guy is the father of the person who is, you know, the drug addict now. It doesn't matter. That's not actually important. They could just be unrelated and it wouldn't really matter because the things that matter in stories are when something meaningful lines up to inform our perspective. That mm-hmm. is what actually matters. These other things, this person happens to be related to this other person. It's like a bad Star Wars plot. It's like, <laughs> oh, this person is person's father. Who cares, well, right? The only reason we cared about that in the times that people think back in their head and they think it matters is like, you care about Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father because this actually is crucial to how the plot plays out. It if that wasn't true, you would have different stakes and different results in actual important scenes. That someone else is related to someone or drives by someone or met someone in a coffee shop, none of these things matter unless you make them do something interesting. There's this attempt to like tie all these stories together in in the weird singing scene where it's like we literally bounce between all of them and mm-hmm. they sing like lines of the same song in order yes. and it's like that feels like an attempt to say, like, oh, we're all experiencing the same sorrow or something in this moment, right? And it's just like... But they're not. But they're not. And so it just feels like... Like, I think there's a way to have done that, probably, where you'd want to have all these intertwined stories, sort of... Or they're not even so much intertwined as the, as they they encounter each other at different points in their, their respective, like, timeline or whatever... Um, and they're all going through their own sort of personal struggles that maybe have similarities, but they're unaware that the people around them are also going through these similar struggles, that kind of thing. And I wonder if maybe that's a little bit of what it was trying to go with. But it's just it doesn't come through. It doesn't really work. It really doesn't. And, you know, I have seen things like that done really well in that way before. Um, I can't think of a really good movie example. I can think of a good stage example for example in the second production of cabaret let's say second production so you're familiar with cabaret at all which i met maybe it's just too i'm not too far back there of a reference for anyone who's listening to this podcast but um there's a scene in cabaret or the movie too i assume although i don't think i've ever seen the movie cabaret uh, there is a scene where a Jewish couple has a brick thrown through their window. This is early in Nazi Germany, so it's, you know, kind of like a, a an omen, right? In the second production of Cabaret, they did a really brilliant thing, which is they have that couple is just together in their home, and there's just a window, like, that they, it's very representational. And Alan Cummings, who is the MC, who obviously is, you know, sort of representing, for the most part, the the sort of sense of, of creeping evil Mm -hmm. that's coming into that society he just kind of like walks up on stage behind them carrying a brick 
and drops it on the floor and the window shatters when he does this. Hmm. And the reason I bring that up for this is it's like it reminds me it's like the good version of the Amy Man singing. If you want to show that there is a thing that a one character is representing but that affects another character's lives, except it's not really that character who did it. Like, it's not really that character who threw the brick through the window, but it is people like that character or their ideology that's throwing the brick through the window, right? You can connect those two things in, in a surreal way. For example, you could imagine a David Lynchian-style movie where you did almost exactly this on screen. There's a, You see a, a scene of this couple who's, like, doing something in their house, you see another unrelated scene where that person is like doing something somewhere else who does something violent, like slam their fist on the table while saying something ideologically on point. And the couple's window, the the brick comes through the window at the same time, right? That's doing the same thing that they did in that theater. And it's connecting these characters in a way that lets you see, oh, Here's a surreal thing we did in a movie that obviously isn't really happening, but you can understand what we're trying to say. And it could potentially be more moving than if we just literally had that person throw the brick through mm-hmm. the window. This movie is trying that, but it just never, it doesn't know how to do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the closest it gets is the frogs. And I think that's one of the reasons yeah. I kind of thought the frogs was more interesting. Because, like, for example, it's like the idea of the fro- the frogs raining down at, like, this sort of critical moment in everyone's situation. Like, when the fo- the frog falls through the, the skylight and stops him from sort of killing himself, like, as he's pulling the trigger, right? Um, or, like, knocking the William... H Macy character off of the the thing as he's cla- I just feel like or 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 knocking over the ambulance where it's like there's kind of this fun aspect to it where it's like the way in which this strange surreal event is is sort of messing with the the sequence of like the story and and like almost in a metaphorical or symbolic way like changing the outcomes of things Yes, although that's sort of it's like there's something more going on there. And I think that's why I was like, oh, this is sort of interesting or fun. But it doesn't seem to get anything out of it. right? That's the problem. It doesn't like it. It's like it wants to, but it never it. I think part of the problem is it the the rest of the movie never set up for anything. Right. And the rest of the movie is very short after the frogs fall. So there isn't much time to actually have that mean anything. So we have all these frogs fall, and it's like, well, what what was the result of that? It's like nothing. But really. the frogs falling could have been. It could have been this really cool, yes, meaningful moment. I think if it moved, if it had moved backwards, if it had moved earlier in the movie a little bit, and there was more consequence to the randomization, like certain things that obviously weren't going to happen suddenly happen because this frog raining thing changes right the trajectory of some of these characters, that could have been very interesting. Instead, it doesn't really happen. We never really all of the things that were going to happen, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise going to meet his father, the uh, the two characters getting together or not getting together, uh, the pedophile being a pedophile, him killing himself as a pedophile. Who cares? I don't know why we care about that. It doesn't really matter. It's not important that that happens, right? And so, uh, because it's not like him living, we don't know what that means. It doesn't mean anything to us that he didn't shoot himself in the head, right? It just doesn't have, it doesn't change our expectations. Mm-hmm. So the frogs falling is just kind of a no-op. It's like some frogs fell, and so what? It's the only interesting thing that happens in the movie, though. And it's not that interesting. <laughs> yeah. I guess is my argument. 
I think visually it's interesting. Visually, conceptually yeah. it's interesting. Um, uh, but in terms of screenwriting, it just they didn't have a way to make that go anywhere. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think we should start winding it down because it feels like yeah. we've been talking a while. And there's nothing more to say. Yeah, exactly. That we're just giving lots of examples of the same problem, exactly. right? Uh, so it's not like we're saying anything new, but just, yeah, yeah. over I mean, and over it just has a real problem. I think I wouldn't say I hate this movie or anything. But... I did. I, okay. I actually hate this movie. Sitting through it again was much worse than I was expecting. I, I didn't like it the first time I saw it, but I think the first time you see it, you are thinking maybe it's going to add up to something because exactly. I know that it doesn't. I this time I was sitting through excruciating scene after excruciating scene, and I was just like, God, I wish I didn't have to watch this. Movie yeah, like again. I don't think I would. I wouldn't watch it again. Yeah. Um. Don't. This is not. A, this <laughs> but, is a movie that gets worse on your second watching. Not oh, better. I'm sure. I'm sure. But I, like you said on the first viewing, you don't know what to expect. It's yeah. definitely the worst of the worst Paul Thomas Anderson movie I have seen. I would suspect it's probably the worst one there is because, like you pointed out, he makes some really great movies uh, after this one, and I don't think he's ever really made something that's quite this low. I didn't see Inherent Vice. I may have seen every other Paul Thomas okay. Anderson movie. So I, I, and you know, like I said, I didn't really like There Will Be Blood, but uh, it's it's not sort of I, I don't think it's like an obviously bad film like I kind of would make the argument this is just kind of a bad film There Will Be Blood is just not my taste right but right, it's doing exactly. something and I can see that it's doing something and I'm like okay I don't get it but but this was not you know I don't have a critical thing to say about it in the like I don't, I, I don't think like there's anything ob- wrong. there's no objectively critical yeah. things I can really say about it it's doing what it's doing and I didn't like it yeah, there you it's go it's just not for you there you but, go yeah so I guess that's Magnolia. Okay, so uh, our final movie next week will be Spotlight. Yeah, which is a, a movie that we both enjoy quite a lot. Um, I guess I should have mentioned I forgot about this. I coming, I, I related it back to Pulp Fiction because that's the most obvious movie of the month that we say like, well, here's an example of how to do almost exactly the same thing Magnolia wants to do, but do it 10 times better. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess I would say 12 Angry Men. Also, just another example of how, you know, it didn't need to do anything. Didn't need to have any frogs falling. It didn't need to have tons of locations. It had one room for the most part and nothing happens. But the screenwriting is so good that you are riveted to this to the, Mm -hmm. you know, the story the whole time. It does. It's everything this movie is not. It's everything Magnolia failed to do. And it's it's all in the writing, I think, uh, in in a lot of ways. Right. It's just that screenplays are more important, I think, that people give them credit for. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree. So we will be back next week with the final movie, actually, of this month. And uh, I think pretty soon here, probably, we will be putting up a poll for the next month. So Very keep exciting. an eye out for that. Well, I uh, don't forget to vote in the poll. Yeah. And we will see you back here for Spotlight next week. All right. Bye. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>